Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th and 20th century women writers. I am your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week is our final dive into the world of Jane Austen's Northanger Abbey. We've watched two adaptations of the novel, the 1986 BBC adaptation and the 2007 ITV adaptation. And we are ready to discuss what we thought worked and what we thought maybe kind of didn't work as well yeah like the 86 henry tilney at all in any way did he work no and on that note it's probably fair to start chronologically so i'd never seen the 80s version before last night even though i actually owned it on dvd for many years <laughs> but henry's hair just honestly it put me off like at first glance mm-hmm. i knew he was not for me Um, I tried watching it a few years ago, actually. Um, A professor friend of mine told me that it was absolutely bonkers uh, after he showed it to his English class and he was encouraging me to uh, give it a try, Um, which I think I watched like 10 minutes of it and then just lost interest. But I sat down to really watch this um, once we started this read along. And uh, yes, it is off the wall. Um, you know, you're not going to find a word for word translation of the book here or great costumes or even really decent acting. I think that's the aces. <laughs> I don't know if those people could act. Um, it's, I mean, it's pretty wild. So I, we're saying that. But I do think it's an interesting watch. And I like enjoy it the same way that I really enjoy reading those old like Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane comics from the 60s and 70s, like sort of like for the kitsch and like kooky factor. You know, I'm entertained, but I realize that it's off the wall. Yeah, I think I would be fine if I never saw the 80s version like ever again. It made me really appreciate the 2007 one and well, especially uh Foxy Fields. Is that his name? I just wanted to call him J.J. Abrams. His name's J.J. Fields. J.J. Fields, Foxy Fields. I really liked the 80s soundtrack, though. That was that was tops. That was really good. And I enjoyed finally getting everyone's comments about floating trays. Now I understand, because okay. I've seen the floating tray scene. And <laughs> I will say that I loved Robert Hardy. I had to Google who he was uh, as the general. And he was in Sense and Sensibility, and I like him in that as well. So, oh, was he? Yeah, he's um the cousin. What's his name? Uh, Mr. Shepherd. Is that his name? You know, like the old guy, the 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 nosy neighbor who like puts them up in the cottage. It's in the Emma Which Thompson fr- one. Okay, okay. Um, he was really good in this. He's like a close talker. <laughs> He's much Which better already, than the general like, freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's really like, he's really going for it. There's actually a scene when they get to the Abbey and he's standing in front of that, like, I don't know, it's like a sculpture type thing, that gold thing. And it looks very classic, like 80s movie villain. Like I thought he mm-hmm. was going to just like go ahead and tell us about his plans for world domination. Like I was like, also, I'm in. what's going on? 
just when they're at his own house and he's like handing Catherine around the room and he's like commenting on the elasticity of her walk. And I will say yeah. the 80s one, the dialogue is much closer to the book. It's just the mm-hmm. way it's delivered that's <laughs> yeah. shocking. But um, yeah, and he's like kind of, he's got her by the hand, by the elbow and he's kind of like parading her around. And it just really mm-hmm. felt like the general that I got from the text. Way more so than yeah. just like this simple, stern villain and I felt like in the Andrew Davies one which is the 2007 one the general was just quite flat yeah I think yeah they maybe didn't appreciate all of the humor whereas with the 80s one it's so weird that yeah the general really comes out well in it so he really does he was maybe my favorite character in it um besides the the music that music (laughs) is like I'm gonna add it to my Halloween playlists that I play when the kids come trick-or-treating perfect I was really startled by the music it (laughs) just didn't stop either I remember I went I watched like this old black and well a couple of films now but like a black and white film in a cathedral and they do the school with the organ but the problem with the guy that they always use to do the schools is that he starts off very tense and then the film Mm -hmm. is three hours long so it's just tense for three hours and it's just and that's how I felt about this where I was like oh it's we're going in strong and it's gonna be like this for 120 minutes yeah yeah it just doesn't stop um it's pretty jarring and uh pretty funny just like uh Catherine's hair and I have to say um I haven't been straightening my hair that much since we've been in self-isolation so I do have like an 86 Catherine curly bang happening quite often it's very disturbing and those wigs like we were watching yeah. it yesterday and at one point you're just like wig and i'm like which which one yeah that the hair them. oh my gosh john thorpe <laughs> it's so <Ooh>. awful <laughs> in the 80s one it's... james hair his, his hair was awful too all, just all of just everyone all the hair every hair every every hairstyle it's not good so I think there are a couple of things that the 86 version does pretty well. One is that this film is very sympathetic to Catherine. You actually get to see where all of these crazy ideas um, that, you know, the general has murdered his wife are actually coming from. So not only does the general have this threatening aura, but he also has this crazy sidekick. She's just like this gossiping marchioness and she brings a significant creep factor to this film. Um, I think the Abbey is also proper, like spooky. I love when she's uh, running to dinner and she like runs through that like just flock of birds. It's just sort of totally ridiculous. Um, But also two scenes that I thought were really effective. Uh, One, you have the servant gossiping about the general and how miserable he made his late wife. And then you have that secret meeting in the hallway that Catherine like overhears between Henry and Eleanor, where Eleanor is like in distress and she's just kind of saying like, I got to get out of this house and they're comforting each other. And, you know, Catherine's just like, what the hell's going on? And um, the receipts in this version are actually mysterious notes between Eleanor and her lover. So... A servant finds them. She carries all of them, but one away. And Catherine finds it. And she's like, ooh, this mysterious note. This is something like meet me by a statue or something. It's something very cryptic. And she's reading, of course, way too much into it because she's Catherine. But all of this is really 
Radcliffian when you add it up. Like all of these mysterious occurrences like have rational explanations. Um, so yeah, I like that it brings it like really right in line with Udolfo in that way. Also, turning the general into a gambler kind of closely aligns him with uh, Montoni and Udolfo. So I thought that was an interesting choice. Another thing I like is how they handled Catherine's reading of Udolfo. So the only bit, and I'm pretty sure this is the only bit that she reads aloud, is early on in the book when Emily is speculating as to what dangers are lying beneath the Black Veil. And the actress that plays Catherine lands pretty heavily on the word conjecture. So now we have to remember both Emily and Catherine speculate and let their imaginations run wild. Um, and I like that they like are trying to tie that in a little bit more. Later on, when Udolfo is brought up, um, also Catherine is just looking at pictures at that point. You don't actually see her reading. You just see her looking at pictures and then kind of having like these wild fantasy sequences. In the 2007 adaptation, I hate that Catherine is reading The Monk, but she burns Udolfo. (laughs) And I think that's just really, really fucking rude, Andrew Davies. (laughs) <laughs> and if we if we ever meet him again, I think uh, that would be the question I'd like to ask him. What the fuck? <laughs> um, also, like Radcliffe would be horrified because she was definitely not a fan of the monk. It actually went against everything she was trying to do with her writing. And she even wrote The Italian as a response novel. So, I mean, I would have been fine with it had Catherine burned the monk. Or, like, don't burn it. Sell it. Or return it to the circulating library, Catherine. It's probably not your book. Um, but I will say, I think that 07 Catherine should actually read Udolfo because I think she would get something out of it. Yeah, but Catherine should also read Udolfo, right? Yeah, yeah, she should. She didn't. She didn't finish it. What about the fantasy sequences then? Because I had not realized that both adaptations had them. I actually thought it was just like the 2007 one that was doing it. Mm-hmm. And so when we watched the 80s one, I was like, oh, okay, this looks like a music video. This looks like Westlife. Or I've actually put in the notes, this looks like a Westlife or a Meatloaf music video because I didn't think the Westlife joke would land because there's just this one Westlife song anyway. So if you know, you know. But otherwise, what well, works know. for both sides of the pond? Because I don't know. What the West I don't life. know if a lot of I don't know if a lot of British people will know their music video to "Bop Bop Baby" because it's definitely mm. a B track. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it's a great video, great song. Uh, in the Facebook group, Lauren, you said that you didn't think the fantasy sequences worked in the 2007 one. What would you have done differently? Um, So interestingly enough, I just read the Matthew Francis stage adaptation of Northanger Abbey, and he does this too, um, and he does them in a different way. So this is like sort of a popular way to interpret Northanger Abbey. I think it's a little weird. Well, it's kind of it's kind of like all of the fantasy sequences kind of like lend to like what you think Austin is trying to do with Northanger Abbey, it seems. So in Matthew Francis's version, he's really like he's weaving in Udolfo references the entire time and turning different characters in Northanger Abbey into characters from Udolfo. Uh, In the 2007 version, 
I like that we're alluding to this like sexual awakening with Catherine, but I do think that they should be changed up or heightened or actually bring in some texts from Anne Radcliffe. Like it seems like he's making a lot of different gothic references and then attributing them all to Radcliffe. Right. And so either like maybe make them all from different books or different ideas that Catherine's getting or I thought in the watch long chat, people were saying they were all from the monk, though. That's they were all Sarah from the monk, said. yeah. But she's reading Udolfo and like, and the voiceover right, so it's like is the monk. It. Yeah, so that's right. what I, I don't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And then I also am like, it also feels like you're just, you're, you're alluding sort of to sex or the whole time, but that's not the only thing that we're trying to do. We that's should also what Andrew Davies likes allude to, to danger <laughs> as well. Yeah. So like, you know, we can allude to sex, but also can we allude to danger? Also, can we allude to like other things that are happening in, gra- in gothic novels? Because I think it reads too much like these are all trash books and we should just burn them yeah. at the end versus Catherine is misreading. The thing that I miss most from both versions is a tour of the house. Like, I think that should be a huge part of, like, any adaptation. And I'm sure that it was axed because it's not, it's probably not terribly practical as far as, like, set building and, like, shooting and time. But I would absolutely love a bit of, like, Northanger Abbey HGTV. And I think... Um, that is just one of the big things that I appreciated about the book this time along. Like the exterior of Northanger Abbey is Gothic, but the interior is modern, like the book itself. And I love how Austin always plays with like exterior versus interior in some manner in her books, like with people and with places. I'm sure there's like a PhD out there working on that for their dissertation right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I think like any adaptation should just invest in like showing you around the Abbey, especially when you consider how much time Catherine spends like building it up and how much time is spent like pages and pages and pages of the general showing you how much he's improved it. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just like a two minute montage tour, I think, you know, so that you can see how much it's changed and how much it's been improved and how little like her expectations is but I mean I want to see the pinery as much as anything I want to see like those greenhouses with all the pineapples in it's just a fun quirk it's not something that I think has come up in any of her other books they talk about plantations a lot so Mm -hmm. I just think it's like a nice visual and and quick I don't think you need to give it like 25 minutes but it's like an easy montage that's a good scene for her to be speechless in instead of the proposal scene you could have her be speechless going around on a tour the abbey i think just it represents the general like it explains Mm -hmm. so much about the the tilneys as well and there's an article about just the general and how wealthy he is because i think it can be unclear like is he wealthy like why is he so desperate for money like what is he up to and in this article by christopher j natalie Um, He pulled this really good quote from the general that said, the money is nothing, it's not an object, but employment is the thing. And then in the article, it goes on to say, although General Tilney's hothouses appear to be a minor detail, historical analysis of the value of pineapples at the end of the 18th century and the social value they represented reshapes the understanding of General Tilney's wealth and character since he overtly emphasises employment while also being inefficiently employed. Mm -hmm. So he's got all of these people that are like 
working really hard and it goes on to say like people who are working in a pine house because they would need like 24 hour surveillance mm-hmm. or supervision uh these people weren't like growing vegetables so they were uh it was like a cash um a cash wealthy society which meant mm-hmm. all of his tenants were uh they had to they'd have to buy all of their groceries from a shop which means that shopkeepers can like put the prices up and so he wasn't thinking about what was best for his tenants or the people that relied on him he was just thinking about the money like his Mm -hmm. children he doesn't think about what's best for them he's just thinking about the money and there's no reason for it it's just he just wants it it's just a display of wealth for wealth's sake and like if you get the tour of the abbey and you see the improvements and you see all of this and you see the pineries I think that's a really good explanation for like what's going on in his head and I think that he's just kind of flattened into being just a villain like he's just a villain in the 2007 one and that's boring like yeah I don't care about that um and I I would say he's just a villain but slightly slightly more well-developed in the 86 version as well and like it's interesting with Austin I think when you reduce her, like you could easily have a four part series with Northanger Abbey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite shocking that they haven't tried that. There's plenty of material, but stuff like this is the first thing that gets cut, right? Like the economics yeah. that makes a character so interesting. Like that is fascinating and that should be explored. But instead, the 86 version, what they've done, the shorthand is like, okay, we'll make the Abbey cartoonish. Mm-hmm. which will feed into Catherine's sort of like her whole imagination going wild. And you will just understand that he is a villain instead of and like actually explaining his... it all. Yeah. And then they like wreck on his behavior and his, re- like they then have to explain why he is the way he is. Yeah. To fit the Abbey, which, yeah. and then both of them are against the book. And so like yeah. him being a gambler and needing her money is a nice way. Like, it's interesting but I think like it's not more interesting than what Austin is trying to get across and I don't know that it's like that hard to do and I think like Northanger Abbey because because it's a short I mean it's accessible but it's not accessible like it has all the references and people get it but you're right people just reduce it to just oh it's like a satire of this and then they miss all of the other stuff whereas I don't think that happens with like sense and sensibility no that's really economics focused because of the income of the family so you really get Mm -hmm. a sense of like what what money there is what's going around like people's inheritance where it's going right and I just don't think you get that with Northanger Abbey and I think it's just as important to the story right and because you don't have a sexy distraction too in sense and sensibility do you like you don't have like okay well we can throw in sort of sexy montages or sexy fantasy sequences from other books to like heighten the yeah, story straight. yeah it's very straight so you actually do have to like confront the economics and i wish that they would do that here crazy thing about the 86 version really weird decision that they've made um they just like decide to kick Catherine out of the abbey in the weirdest way. It's like one minute she's talking to Eleanor, then a servant comes up and is like, hey, your dad's home and he's not in a great mood. Next thing you know, Catherine's in a carriage and then she's home. Yeah, it was really shit. You're like, wait, you're like, <laughs> like, what's going on? The worst scene, like the worst scene ever. And it just, it means it loses all of its impact. Mm-hmm. 
so like, weird zero impact it's just oh holiday's over and then you're like so why is she upset <laughs> like <laughs> what's going what on what has happened yeah it, lo- it just loses any impact whatsoever but then they go the opposite way when henry arrives at fullerton completely oh, yeah. the opposite mm-hmm. because that whole scene is too over the top yeah so i kept thinking that it was just a fantasy sequence and i was yeah, waiting yeah. for her to wake up because even for a second, I was like, oh, that's clever. They're going to have him do this big, romantic, creepy, misty, like, proposal scene. Mm-hmm. And then he'd walk up like a normal person. And it would be like the yeah, comparison. That would be cute. And that would have been. Yeah, that would have been But instead, that's just the scene. No, yeah, it's so, like, the music starts going. And it's so misty. Has it ever been that misty? In England, Hannah, have you ever seen that level of mist in anywhere other than like a rock video? Yes. Whoa. But I've never been proposed to in it. Oh well. So That's a it reminds there's a there's a film called A Matter of Life and Death. It's like an old black and white and like Technicolor film, mm-hmm. and there's an angel who hides in the bushes, and it just made me think of that. I just like felt like Catherine was going to start coughing. It was odd. <laughs> it was a lot. Smoky. I thought and, like, the building that was on Henry fire. Is so gross. Oh, he's yeah. just so gross in every way, and so he's just like oh. whispering in the mist to her, and I was like, Ugh. his performance is truly um, upsetting. So yeah, this film is like all over the place as far as tone, right? Like you're like, this scene's like ridiculous and crazy. This scene underplayed, and then the scene between Henry and his father having it out at the end. That was great. Because I love seeing Henry actually stick up for Catherine, having it out with his dad. They sort of like explained everything that had just happened with John Thorpe and the general feeling like Catherine had taken advantage of them and lied and said that she was an heiress and blah, blah, blah. He's like not taking responsibility for anything that just happened. And Henry is like, no, you're wrong. You're the worst. It's great. Yeah, and they have like a falcon. So Yeah, I like that bit. That's also cool. I think it was just like a nice way of getting in some of Austin's exposition, which in the last mm-hmm. episode we were saying kind of comes in thick and fast in the last few chapters. It's like, oh, and another thing, this is what John Thorpe said. Oh, and another thing. Yeah, yeah. This is what happened to Eleanor. And like both adaptations did a much better job of explaining the Eleanor stuff, definitely. Mm-hmm. But that scene between... Uh, Henry and his dad I think was just yeah it was a really effective way of kind of taking what Austin's saying and just finding a more interesting way of getting that across to the audience because you do need to know what's been going on and it's just nicer than having it like monologued yeah it makes sense for them to be having that conversation well you do also want to see Henry and his father have it out because I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of tense moments between Henry and the general throughout the book throughout the movies and you're just like I would like to see what this dynamic is, really, when no one else is around. So 2007 version, one of the things I really love about it is the carriage ride home. So, of course, that handles it totally differently because there is a big buildup. And then Catherine leaves. It's like in the middle of the night, basically, instead of seven in the morning. Yeah. And um, there's a hint of danger and what could go wrong. But, um, yeah. No, it's all good. And it pairs nicely, too, with Mama Moreland's line about, you know, just being impressed with, you know, how Catherine has handled the situation and her growth. And, of course, um, Eleanor's concern 
about the whole thing as well and her embarrassment. Yeah, I liked it because it wasn't like too much either. Because mm-hmm. I think like there, there is a temptation to have like a highway robbery or just something go really terribly wrong. And this is just like a hint like, hey, maybe it's not safe mm-hmm. for her, a young woman, to be out on her own. And then just the goose and the sausage. Yeah, it's also funny. It's just a, yeah, it's a yeah. funny moment. Yeah. But, like that's such a trope, isn't it? Someone gets in a carriage and like poor people have some kind of bird in there like was that like a joke that was around at the time it happens in the favorite as well i just feel like in every mm-hmm. film and in like dr doolittle just a seal i guess i think people like... don't take enough livestock on public transport <laughs> they don't anymore that's my takeaway wow yeah honestly yeah um what did you think in the 2007 version of isabella being a fallen woman So while I was scanning all of the Amazon reviews uh, for both movies, um, I kept seeing so many people talking about this, uh, saying that it was very, you know, anti-Austin. And I was just kind of wondering if anyone had read or seen Pride and Prejudice, you know, but um, I think it's interesting uh, Isabella being labeled a fallen woman in this because Northanger Abbey is all about people misreading you know other people or situations or books to their own detriment and it shows you that Isabella had the most like serious miscalculation out of this whole crew basically I just I I think I get nervous the minute anyone says anything is Mm un-Austin because I'm like what it's almost usually it's almost always sex stuff right or like the depiction of it Mm -hmm. and that I think is a very basic misunderstanding like, what do people think Lydia and Wickham were doing in London? Like, saying cribbage. So strange. Over, right? Just watching yeah, movies. Like, I do think that by showing the aftermath of them hooking up in, at a public party as well, um, it's, it's like seeing Henry and Mariah shagging in the, the 90s Mansfield Park as well. It's just a very quick shorthand for what Austin has implied throughout Mm -hmm. the entire book she is at great pains to say it and there's all the clues in the text and I think those nuances can be hard to get across in an adaptation and just showing a boob (laughs) gets it across in five seconds right and I think it's important that we see Isabella in that light because when it I feel so bad for her when she Mm -hmm. says and are we engaged it just it puts all of this focus on how precarious her position is as mm-hmm. a woman. It isn't just that she has dumped James for the captain. She has left a very secure match in t- like completely to pursue someone that you- is going to use her and then walk mm-hmm. away from the situation unscathed, whereas right. she won't. And I'm not saying that Isabella's right. That's not a, a defense of what she did to James or any of that stuff, but her situation is very different to Captain Tilney's. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene in a very short amount of time just really gets that across so I think it's I think it's a great scene I I always really like it when I see it so she's very vulnerable yeah she is and we put this all on Isabella as well and we can't like Mm -hmm. you know just completely absolve him and like what he has been saying or doing to lead her on as well so anyway speaking of altering the text Tilney's added vampire speech in the 2007 version might go down as one of my favorites. 
Uh, would you like to play Henry Tilney in this? No, I want to play. <laughs> I want to play Catherine Morland because I think her line is very important. <laughs> okay, okay. So Henry says uh, this is at the end when he's uh, come to explain everything to Catherine and ultimately propose and all that good stuff. He says, your imagination may be over, but your instinct was true. Our mother did suffer grievously at the hands of our father. Do you remember I spoke of a kind of vampirism? Yes. Good job. He continues, perhaps it was stupid to express it so, but we did watch him drain the life out of her with his coldness and his cruelty. He married her for her money, you see. She thought it was for love. It was a long time until she knew his heart was cold. No vampires, no blood. But worse crimes, crimes of the heart. I like that addition. I'm mm-hmm. not always sold by rewrites, but I think, again, because it, it's kind of harkening back to something that he says in the carriage on the way to Northanger Abbey, like mm-hmm. when they're riding just together and he talks about like vampires of sorts. So he kind of, I think it, the, the foreshadowing is nice and the vampire comparison is a good one for the general. Yeah. yeah. And again, I mean, having him kind of say it to her makes Catherine more sympathetic because Henry's joking about it with her. So he's he's the one putting the ideas in her head. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think it's a good piece of adaptation. I think, yeah, you know, obviously I have my one big problem with Andrew Davies in this adaptation. But, um, you know, you can't always do a a line for line translation. We don't have the time. We don't have the same pop culture references. This book is already like tricky as it is as a text. So I just thought, you know what? You scored one point here for me, Andrew Davies. I like it. Yeah, and I think his big the big speech about the that Henry gives in that scene, like the alternative speech, it really relies on you reading Udolfo, right? Mm-hmm. And if you haven't, and the only thing you've got to go on are the scenes which are based on the monk, then, then you're going to yeah. be really confused because <laughs> yeah. Udolfo is not even in the adaptation. So it makes sense to swap it out. Um, we only mentioned it briefly before, but when you and I watched the 80s one, that bath scene mm-hmm. can we just talk about that's like that's a weird scene so they all good. get in the bath and they've I think all got it's great they're like hair wraps on and <laughs> they're all wearing their matching outfits well i will say that the 80s version does a nice job of like showing you bath like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like you have a lot more exteriors um you have a lot more wide shots it seemed to me that they probably were like we don't want to just show them drinking the water like let's show other things that are happening in bath and how weird and just it lends to the creep factor doesn't it it's so eerie i love it why is john thorpe in the bath with yeah them? he's the only man in that scene it's I, not explained in any way isn't I that think very that's right isn't that very john thorpe though because like it's a probably a women's only time and he's just like i'm just gonna storm right you in know and what do it. if if that had been the thing then great because you could have had like a nice little john thorpe speech you could like the servant people, the servant people, the <laughs> staff are just, they don't know what to say to him. He's just like, I'll I'll tell you another thing. It's my right as a son. I'm going in there, like going, going after his mom, just talking so much. They've just got to let him in. 
But yeah, I just everyone, I'd seen all the comments about like the trays and the bonnets and I watched it and I was like, how has no one commented on the fact that he is there? I know. It's like no one else noticed. Like I'm just starting to see him in scenes where he isn't at this point. So obviously it's been fun watching everyone react to the book as we did the chapter by chapter read-alongs, but we did get you guys to watch the adaptations and let us know what your thoughts were. I do think it's pretty unanimous that 2007 was considered perfectly cast, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. doesn't surprise yeah. me, apart from the general, which obviously yeah. the 80s version wins. But uh, Lexington loved the 2007 version so much that she made William Beck's John Thorpe her profile picture. Yeah. You're taking that as a win, I didn't know that was his name. Oh, I'm taking that as an absolute win. (laughs) William Beck, my new friend. uh, Great, great casting. He absolutely makes it. You should start watching Casualty. He's great on Casualty. I saw him in a play. I saw him on stage once. Excellent in that as well. And it was after I'd seen Northanger Abbey. And so it was like two years later. And I was just like, it's John Thorpe. William Beck, yeah. come on the show. He seems attainable. Maybe we can get him. Draken. Yeah, let's I, get yeah. him on the show. Yeah, I think so. Valentina said that J.J. Fields could mansplain anything to me. He is the perfect Tilney. But Sarah N.P. was less convinced. The only problem, and it's not his fault, is that they didn't give him and Felicity Jones the best little duo lines from the book. Yeah, there are some lines yeah. that I would have liked to have seen. Um, I would have loved to see them say, me? Yes, I cannot speak well enough to be unintelligible. Yeah, love that line. Uh, Bravo, an excellent satire on modern language. They would have done those lines so well. Yeah, they really would have. And it's kind of really shot really weirdly in the 80s version, too. Um, Yeah, so it's this big wide shot. And they're sort of like over to the left. And there's lots of things to distract you. And then they like say the lines and you're like, oh, that's a moment I should be like looking at but. i think generally the 80s version does a better job of using the dialogue from the book mm-hmm. and yeah. getting it in there whereas the 2007 one does seem to be like we're gonna just have like a very loose a loose script based on it but the it's, pacing of yeah. the 2007 one is much better because the 80s one yeah. is like wild <laughs> you yeah. get no sense of time in the 80s one it's everyone is just there from the get-go they're yeah. just it's just happening so fast which is weird because it's almost it's the same length of time. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, the dialogue, it is a shame. So Ruth told us, my mum wouldn't let me read Northanger Abbey in high school after, after she saw the 80s version. And it wasn't until my sister and I rebelled in college and read it together that we could convince her it was all right and actually quite funny. Oh, wow. I wouldn't let my kids watch that. The 80s version? No. <laughs> oh, I totally would. Totally. The, definitely. The weird, the, cartwheeling slave boy scene definitely if like you're flicking through and that's what you see it's such a like weird trippy moment yeah i also thought the marchioness was going to be like more of a character (laughs) because for a minute there i was like oh did she tell him that catherine was an heiress you know like yeah because they're they introduce her as this character that's like a gossip like a gossip yeah (laughs) Yeah. and then she does nothing like she does nothing she is pointless She's just spooky. She's just there for visual effects. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like the thing about the 80s version, right? It's just like, that's just there for visual effect. Oh, it's definitely, it's form yeah. over function. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was like, why? What's going to happen? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> 
So yeah, the 80s version is uh, unnerving. Vidrana said, I have a distinct memory of being freaked out by the 80s version when I was a child. Why are they walking around fully clothed in a hot swimming pool? Why is that lady sewing up her own finger? Yeah, weird. What's the finger bit? What is that? I think I missed the finger bit. I remember. I read that (laughs) comment and I was like, I mean, maybe we watched the same film. Unclear. I felt like I did a close watching of it. but I, I will tell you, though. Again, scanning Amazon reviews, so many of the reviews, I want to say like 80% of them are people complaining about deleted scenes. I really, I don't know why it happens in this day and age. Guys, stop deleting scenes from UK versions when you transfer them to USA versions. Who knows? Who knows? That North and South scene is going to haunt me. Did they go to the giant conservatory? Yes, they did. (laughs) Uh, My favorite comment uh, of... Just all of the comments about the adaptations was Mary P saying, I watched the 86 first because there was no 07 in existence at the time. Hobbles away. So like I said, I uh, did the thing where I scanned Amazon for some interesting reviews and I found some and I found some. Okay, so here's an interesting review of the 2007 version. She says, I was really excited about watching this movie as I'm a big Jane Austen fan, but the film was a big disappointment. The characters aren't well developed and the plots are hard to follow. For instance, the movie starts by calling the main character a heroine, and when it ends in what feels like an abrupt nature, I'm left scratching my head wondering how in the world she is a heroine. Nothing she does is heroic or even interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Did they... Are you all uh, right? Did you watch it? <laughs> I don't think they they read it. Definitely not. Definitely didn't read this book. No, and I know we say that we shouldn't laugh at people for spell, but this they, they also spelled Jane Austen wrong. I don't know. Yeah, that's one of yeah. those things, right? You know, when it's something that you know that you shouldn't, but then you're like, but you spelled it wrong. So, yeah. how much of a big fan are you? Coming on yeah. Amazon and critiquing it. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you do? I mean, Northanger Abbey is not an easy book, right? If we're comparing it to Sense and Sensibility, it's not as straightforward, right? Um, not yeah. as straightforward of an adaptation. Um, I do think that reading the book does help does help you with the adaptations. Um, yeah, I think someone commented saying that they'd read it too recently to be able to like enjoy it because they were too aware of the stuff that it was missing but I actually Mm -hmm. think the adaptations do better for me having read it because like my brain skips over the stuff that doesn't make as much sense because it's so fresh Mm -hmm. so like I don't notice that the pacing is bad in the 2007 one yeah which is a thing lots of people said like it just doesn't it's like the the blanks have already been filled in for you yeah it's hard exactly Um, you know it too well yeah because I I just did a um, a group watch of Emma with three friends who are not of this, or this is not their thing. Mm-hmm. They're not Bonnets listeners. Um, and I loved that new version of Emma. I think it's great. Uh, I had to explain a lot to them. 
Yeah, I can see that being it, a thing. I think I, that, was, I think that yeah. film is form over function as well. I think it looks yeah. amazing. It's not the most successful Emma adaptation at all. Yeah, like I didn't realize how, like it's a great shorthand. And if you already know the story, you, you already know. You already know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. But like with Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill, the Jane Fairfax they were stuff, like wildly it's not confused. In there. It's so badly done. It's yeah. so badly done. And these three gals are like writers and editors. They're not, I mean, they're mm-hmm. very story based. And so I was just like, oh, yeah. So here's the here's the background on Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill. And they were like, oh, wow. OK, that's a whole story. That's interesting. Like. They were Which interested is, in it, but they just didn't they didn't get it. The Ramola Garai one, the I think it was ITV, the T V series, which was four four episodes, I think, mm-hmm. does a great job with yeah. the Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill and kind of contextualizing it against Emma and why what happened to those children is important. And again, that's something where someone is adding something from the text, but they're doing it to give you a better understanding of what the book's getting at, which is what the 2007 version does with the vampirism speech. So it Mm -hmm. is an addition, but it's just saying like in a way that you can comprehend like a little quicker, like this is what we're getting at. Like this is the situation. Adaptations are hard. I think Austin adaptations are particularly hard too, because you really, people know these books, they know them so well. And people like us want to see something a little fresh done with the material mm-hmm. as well. Um, but then that means you're at the risk of like leaving newbies behind. Yeah. So, yeah, that's tough. This one's long, but it's re- it's funny. Mm-hmm. I think they're just so angry. And also, this is just like the first paragraph of a much longer essay <laughs> about the 2007 adaptation. So... I don't know what to complain about first. Should I start with how this movie is a waste of a solid cast? Or that stupid movie slash TV people think that they can write better dialogue than Jane Austen? And that they decided to replace hilarious plot driving conversations with their own made up garbage? Or that they're too lazy to show us Catherine's nature so they ham fistedly tell us instead? Or should I complain about the liberties with the storyline that do not improve the tale or how they make the confusing decisions about John Thorpe's character by making him creepy yet oddly apologetic when he's an ill-mannered jerk that very quickly gets under Catherine's skin, which is saying something because her character is supposed to be very amenable. I know. I think of all the annoying things this movie does is that it employs narration in the beginning and then leaves it off until the very end. I mean, why bother? And then in all caps, so many annoying things in this movie could have been addressed with narration. They should have kept it throughout or left it off entirely. Wow. Hey, listen, Sex and the City stops Carrie Bradshaw directly addressing the camera after like, four episodes mm-hmm. if they can do it Andrew Davies can do it yeah yeah I mean you lose a lot because the narrator has great lines but I think narrating a movie that is this short especially it just feels like you're cramming in a lot like I feel like it would it would get really claustrophobic if you've got narration and fantasy sequences and like I don't I think there should be a blanket ban on getting someone to pretend to be Jane Austen and narrating stuff in Jane Austen adaptations. You could play Jane Austen adaptation bingo, where you've got someone reading like the first and last line 
of the of of the book mm-hmm. um you know someone getting wet most of these are because andrew davis is directing yeah, so yeah, many so of like them. he's done this but like yeah they just kind of they do the same things and you know this review isn't entirely wrong it's just it's very long yeah they're very upset about the whole narration bit as well and john thorpe was he apologetic yeah there then- was a scene there was a bit when um i i was thinking this when we watched it when he kidnaps Catherine, which mm-hmm. by the way, he takes her like around the corner. If you've been to Bath, yeah, yeah. they have not gone very far at all. She could have gotten out. Uh, but mm-hmm. he turns around and he says like, oh, truly I am very sorry. He like, he genuinely, mm-hmm. not genuinely, he's like doing a good impression of showing genuine remorse, you know? And like, that isn't what John Thorpe would have done. He would have blustered mm-hmm. and talked over her and not cared, which is what happens in the novel. So I think that was a weird choice. Mm-hmm. It's like they're trying to make John Thorpe more sympathetic, but I don't think he has to be. I don't no. think he's meant no, to be a sympathetic be. character. So like, why waste your time? Yeah. Another bit about John Thorpe from another review. Um, Let's see. This gal says... The cast in the story does a credible job in pulling off the story. I liked the casting except for the part of Mr. Thorpe. He did not at all match the beauty of his sister. What do you think about that? Is John Thorpe supposed to be really handsome? No, I think Isabella's like the pride and hope of her family. Yeah, me too. That's what I always thought. Yeah. I loved, I'll I'll say this here actually, I loved the 80s um isabella her mm-hmm. facial exp- like i love carrie mulligan mm-hmm. but the uh kind of the activity <laughs> is the best <laughs> word like there yeah. is so much facial acting coming from isabella in the 80s one it's really really funny she's like a joy to watch in every single scene loved it she is and like they make- really amped her and Catherine, i think have the best chemistry out of anyone in that mm-hmm film they have the only chemistry <laughs> the only chemistry well general has chemistry with everyone but like Catherine's just so like just doe-eyed and like i mean mm-hmm. just like she looks shocked the entire time and isabella is just like giving you so much face i also think it's interesting in the 80s one that they um they audibly make the thorps sound different so they make mm-hmm. them sound like they're putting on airs and graces mm-hmm and I think that's interesting because the uh, suggestion is that Mrs. Allen has married quite well for herself, right? Yes. And that she's yeah. kind of snagged Mr. Allen. Mm-hmm. And then I think you have her kind of contrasted to this girl that she went to school with, who is maybe a little less well-bred. Mm-hmm. And like, they're all putting on these airs, like they all sound, and it's just, and they're it's all kind of like on. a slight distinction. Yeah. And it kind yeah. of helps reinforce the motives for the thorps like they're not quite Mm -hmm. the equals of that and that's why money is so important that's why they're making these kind of mercenary decisions and choices they're Mm -hmm. not fortune hunting for the sake of it that like the general like there's different there's different motivations there and Mm -hmm. i think that you don't get that in the 2007 one it's kind of like an even playing field all of these people could just be the same social rank and that's not the case yeah, what's interesting too is if you can compare and contrast the scenes where um, Isabella is complaining, she's received the letter from James talking about, mm-hmm. you know, how they're going to be able to get married in a couple years. And here's, you know, here's the financial situation. 
And in the 86 version, it's very, you can see the mother is very much in control of that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like looking at her daughter, like, don't mess that up. Mm-hmm. And in the 2007 version, you see Isabella make that switch of, oh, okay, I better cover for myself. I better. So I think in the 86 version, yeah, like where that might not be exactly true to the book, it's getting that whole family, almost parasite. But they, I think that is play. true to the book because the first, the it's Mrs. Thorpe that first approaches Mrs. Allen, and is like, yes. yeah, like the first, the first Thorpe contact is is the mum, like mother to not quite mother, like mm-hmm. oh I know you, like that's the we we're an acquaintance, so immediately making that clear is smart because it mm-hmm. means that they can all be in each other's company right yeah. there's no yeah. like some of the formalities are gone it's so calculating which yeah. is why i always want to try and push back on the idea that it's like isabella is calculating or right. john thorpe is calculating it is like a family scheme they're all mm-hmm. at it from from the get-go pretty i'm sure from the minute they meet james at christmas like the plan to go to bath is for a reason mm-hmm. you know um it, it's parasite yeah i haven't seen it Oh, that's what that movie is. Um, I do want to read three, just three words, and they are presented not together in this review of the 1986 version. So these are from mm-hmm. uh, Amazon. Yuck, full stop. Terrible, full stop. Then like a couple of paragraphs and then fail. <laughs> that's the yeah. last word. <laughs> so yeah. if you just, just the three of them. Yuck, terrible, fail. Ah. Uh. That's a damning, that's a damning review. But there is an interesting part of this review where she says her love interest, Henry, played by Peter Firth, was so spot on. And the very end scene, he smolders sensuality, which encapsulates the best part of the music. That's a different review. Oh, is it? Oh, shit. It's oh, like well, reading. Oh, it's oh. so short. It's like, I don't see that. <laughs> oh, I thought it was that one because it also says yikes. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. it, it also has all, all great, all yeah. great words to describe this adaptation. Yeah. Hannah, you brought something up during our watch along of Northanger Abbey um, regarding the gate. Yeah. And so, you're going you're gonna to have to explain this to, to, to me. Listen to me. Okay. And I, I haven't been able to verify all of this, but. Okay. Gate gate. Hashtag mm-hmm. gate gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great gate at Fullerton, which is Catherine's home in the 2007 adaptation. And as I was watching it, I was like, I have seen this gate before. And it looks like same... any other gate, guys. No, I... it doesn't. Listen, <laughs> it looks like a very specific gate. And it's a gate that was used in Becoming Jane. And if All you right. Google Becoming Jane gate, you will see it. And if you watch this you will you will also see the gate however mm-hmm. when i was watching the ramola garai emma last week there's a gate in that and i was mm-hmm. like it's that i've seen this gate <laughs> and so i was trying to like fast forward through emma mm-hmm. to try and find it and it didn't work so what i need is for someone who hasn't watched it like three days ago because like i can't sit down and watch four hours of it again looking for a gate i need you to watch emma Mm-hmm. The one starring Ramola Garai, and I need you to screenshot any and all gates. Right. And I need you to put them in the Facebook group. Hashtag okay. the great gate gate. 
Okay. Great gate gate. Sounds good. Because I think, how many times has this gate appeared? Who knows? I mean, maybe this gate is in other things. Maybe this gate is in like Midsummer Murders, you know? Like there's I, a lot of gates in that show. It's a pretty sexy gate. All right. Let's find this gate. Where is it? Do you own this gate? If you do, let us know. <laughs> and then the other thing that happened uh, during this watch along is, and listen, I, this might be one of those you had to be there jokes. And I've definitely... I think said this before on the show. I've definitely said this to Amanda about the Kentucky Bull. Mm-hmm. But I want to set up an escort service. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to set up an escort service called Dial a Darcy. And I will literally just be hiring men out to dance with young women at balls. Because the... Only you know, dance. Can I just say that for legal reasons? Only dance. <laughs> That's yeah. It. Like yeah. a dance escort. That's yeah. what the, they're called escorts. Yeah. But I don't want to be confused with other kinds Not of escorts. Not sex school. <laughs> or, yeah. No, okay. Well, I'm going to start an escort service. Lauren can say the legal stuff at the end of the show. <laughs> um, an escort service. It's going to be called Dialer Darcy. I'm happy to franchise it if we get it get it going. We'll train mm. the men in like dancing and giving compliments. We'll teach them about muslins and it's fine. And there'll be like different tiers, right? And so then after I said that, people were just like sending all of these puns in and some of them are pretty good. So we're going to share them. So Sandy W said, instead of Dyla Darcy, it could be Texter Tilney. Then Hazel J offered Rentworth, <laughs> which is hilarious. I really like that one. Uh, Christina said, fancy affairs. Uh, Sandy W said, Booker Brandon. And then Valentina said, is nobody up for email and Edmund? To which I said that obviously Edmund and Edward had to be the budget options. Yes. Because they just like kiss you on the forehead and like patronize you. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anyone's booking Edmund or, or Edward. So yeah, Dyla Darcy, let me know. Slide into my DMs if you want to franchise it. If mm-hmm. you uh, run your own successful escort service, just right. let me know. We you could just be an tips. offshoot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A uh, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bad escorts. That watch along um, that we had the other day was great. It was a great way to cap off this entire series. If you guys, um, by the way, have not listened to the previous episodes where we really get into Northanger Abbey with our guests, I highly recommend that you do so because I know we've dropped a few references to things that we've learned along the way. And so, um, yeah, definitely worth listening to Janine Barkas, Lydia Craig, and Helena Kelly share some of those thoughts. And then last episode, we also had our amazing listeners um, and their awesome commentary. And yeah, I just feel like I've gotten a lot closer to this book i enjoy it a lot more looking forward to my next reading of it and uh seeing what else sort of like stands out for me i think this time along i was just really into austin's like defense of the novel and um the general and the home improvements were really interesting so that the economics of northanger abbey that was very cool what about you anything anything yeah i think the general is like my favorite bit of this reread like I already knew that I loved John Thorpe so it didn't take anything new away from Mm -hmm. that like I already had like a very deep and personal understanding and like connection to that part of the book Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. now this time around um the general top lad really enjoyed it (laughs) good stuff 
very good stuff. I think he just he's so integral, you know, he's not like a side character. He's a real like driving force. And that dialogue yeah. is funny. It's just excellent. And I would love to adapt Northanger Abbey and he and John Thorpe would be the main characters. <laughs> <laughs> I really think there needs to be a push for a four hour adaptation of Yeah, called Northanger Laddie. <laughs> We'll leave, we'll leave with that. <laughs> I will say. So um, as you guys know, this season we are doing mini series. Um, so this was our Northanger Abbey mini series. And then we take a break and we are going to come back with a new mini series. Um, you may have caught the teaser trailer in our Facebook Live that we ran as part of the virtual Jane Con last weekend. But for those of you that didn't, our next mini series is about literary tourism. And we've got a bunch of interviews with some incredible curators and, of course, our road trip diaries from our trip in November, which seems like one million years ago. Remember when you could go outside? Yes. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a great series. It might bring back some sad memories for us. Yeah. Um, we also will be running a couple of extra special episodes that talk a little bit about where we are now as far as literary tourism, because everywhere is shut down and the different things that these lit homes are doing to sort of to keep going and, and stay ways alive. That you, yeah, to stay alive and ways you can support. And Hannah, if our good listeners want to catch up on updates on when the season is dropping and ways they can support other literary homes. Where where do they find us on the internet? You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at bonnets at dawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And you can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find us on Facebook by searching bonnets at dawn. And agreeing to all those rules and regulations that we yeah. set up. Otherwise, we won't <laughs> let you in. Yeah. I've rejected a lot of people lately. Ooh. Ouch. I know. It's not a paywall. It's just like, it's a, are you not... a real person rule? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because remember that account that sells bonnets? Mm. They tried to get back in the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they changed the their, they did not, but they changed their profile like to headbands. Ooh. They're like headbands and other accessories. And I'm like, that's, that's it's bonnets. I, We've got a bonnets agenda. So definitely changing it to headbands. Yeah. And I'm like, I recognize you. Last time you were trying to sell me bonnets. Ooh.